Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, June 2nd, Thursday, uh, we have a good uh, start of the show first segment here. We've got Steve Sipple from On3.com in the studio. Formerly Steve Sipple from the Lincoln Journal Star. Welcome to Drive Time Lincoln, Steve. Jack, I'm always honored well, to be on. I, I mean, it. You, I thanks enjoyed, for having we me. We missed you a, a few weeks back. Or, uh, yeah, what happened? We- you, you scratched me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I was a late scratch. <laughs> Like a horse. I'm like a thoroughbred. I was a late scratch. Steve, I think you got bumped for the crazy uh, GOP primary going on, to be honest with you. Like, as that thing, and again, you're a Columbus native, so Jim Pillen is the the GOP nominee. Yeah, congratulations to Jim. Great choice. Can I say that on the radio? Uh, Great choice. You can. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think the thing I'm happy about is, everybody knows on the show, I think we're going to have a good conservative governor and i like that about the state of nebraska and jim called in and it was a great conversation but you know what all the candidates came on i gotta be honest we had a crazy political season here and so i think you got scratched because as that thing ratcheted up uh dark money tack ads i was like oh i gotta get knee deep in this stuff so (laughs) anyway but then that was actually probably good because otherwise i was just gonna say hey what's the update on spring football And uh, well, you know, I know people like that, but I mean, I, I there's so much written about it that, it, yeah. and you're one of the lead ones, obviously, that I go to, and and Caleb here covers it, yeah. So anyway, but then big news, you decide, hey, I'm I'm changing what I've been doing, sort of, kind of, right? Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a big decision, I would say that. I mean, Jack, I was at the Lincoln Journal Star for 33 years. Um, yeah, when you start talking about writing about my wife when we were in college, I, <laughs> I always Kate. start giggling. Yeah, Kate, I did. I covered her. I mean, she had a huge match against Texas for the, in the national title match. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, um, absolutely. Kate Cernich, the former Kate uh, You're going to get me slapped now when I go home. Why? But that's okay. I know. She was great Very that day. I wrote gal. a column about her. I know. Anyway. Humble gal. and that, But you find that about a lot of the Nebraska volleyball players, yeah, yeah. whether it was Terry Pettit or John Cook. They uh-huh. are very elite. They're a storied program, if not one of the best ever in, uh-huh. in volleyball. Uh-huh. But you find that a lot of those women go on to um, – they're just humble yeah. and hardworking about their experience. I'm certainly blessed to have well, met Kate one. Kate was that and, way when she played. You know, she was to, very quiet. Yeah, and to stay with my silly butt in yeah. my whole life. But, well, you yeah. do all the talking. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> hey, now, hold, okay, now so, so Journal Star, leaving the Journal Star, I want to emphasize, it was very difficult. It was a, in fact, it was excruciating. Um, it was an excruciatingly hard decision. And the Journal Star, there, there was nothing, they did nothing wrong. I didn't leave, I didn't leave, you know, because I was angry or because I was worn out. Um, they made it very hard to leave. Um, so I... I it was an amicable, amicable split. Why did I leave? I just need. I felt like I needed at age fifty-five to tweak a little bit my career. Um, I wanted to do mostly, almost exclusively football. If you're a columnist, sports columnist at the Journal Star, you need to you need to be ready at least to weigh in on a lot of different things other than football. Sure. And because of the scope of my football duties which was major at the journal star i was having a harder and harder time paying attention to everything i needed to pay attention to so it on three covering nebraska it'll be 90 
95% football, which is what I want. Yeah, and it's it's on3.com, correct? On thank you, Jack. On3.com. We'll be cover I'm covering Nebraska for on3.com with Robin Washut and Abby Barmore and Brian Munson. It's a crew of people. And that's what we'll be doing. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I did. I checked out kind of your website. Um, as I said, I'll admit the audience knows me pretty good. It took me a former quarterback a couple of minutes to figure out on three. That's right. Only because my You're brain. You're a former quarterback, My Jack. brain wasn't, as you hear. On three. My brain is on safety and security right now in Lincoln, you know, folks. And by the way, there is a tactical situation down at uh, 13th and D, I believe. Um, I don't know if it's resolved. If it gets resolved while we're on air, I'll let you know. Um, but I just wasn't in that frame of mind. I understand. And, then, and then once I switched into it, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. But I think to your point, um, you're probably right. And and I know you've written a column about this. It's a it's a historic time in Husker football in particular. We, we agree on that. And, the, and and maybe not in the best of light, but it, we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And so you're covering that mm-hmm. but there's also other things especially the men's programs that have been going on and yeah. a lot of people asking questions a lot yeah. of good things going on with females but my point is is it's probably good from your standpoint to get fresh kind of perspective fresh surroundings mm-hmm. and to be able to focus because the next couple of years in Husker football is going to be something we all kind of end up really going I remember that or going oh my god yeah right oh yeah it's it's a pretty weighty discussion it is um i think and, you use the word intense yeah it's intense Fair. intense yeah i mean it's tense and intense that's the kind of season we're going into well i mean when your head coach you know has to win you know a set number of games we don't know exactly what it is but you know he figures but he better win six at the very minimum yeah every game's gonna feel a little bit bigger right yeah every loss i you know I think it was Bob Devaney who said it. In the, at Nebraska, every game is big if you lose. So that conversation is more weighty now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Scott Frost's fifth year. That makes it weighty. It's intriguing because he changed five staff positions, and he brought in 15 players from the transfer portal, 33 players overall. Jack, 33 players overall he brought in since December. 33. Now think about that. I mean, you play... You know, there's an 85 scholarship limit. What percentage is that? Is that 38% of your rosters is different now? 38.8, I think it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's all of that adds to the intrigue, you know? Yeah, and it's, I, I probably hear it's also, it's, it's pretty much a new team in the sense of you don't transfer either if you initiate it because you think you want to go somewhere because you want to play and you feel you're good enough to play. And coaches don't bring people in often if they're not going to contribute. So you're going to have a lot of new, if you will, people on the field. There'll be some stalwarts, too, and kids that have been in the program. But, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a whole new, fresh Scott Frost era. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, yeah, he doesn't totally. get a start over. No. He doesn't get that. You know, that's the thing. So, oh, I mean, I didn't, but here's the thing, Jack. I mean, they took care of a lot of their vulnerabilities on the roster. There's still some vulnerable spots. There's vulnerable spots at Alabama. I mean, there's vulnerable. Every team has them. Nebraska, I think as an organization, as a program, they feel pretty good about their roster now. That there's nothing glaring. There's no, nothing glaring in their minds. I don't know that I completely agree. Um, 
I mean, there's a few positions where you'd worry about, but man, they went in that portal and, and took care of a lot. Yeah. For instance, the defensive line, which was a code red coming out of spring. You had O'Shawn Mathis and Devin Drew and Stephon Wynn, and now you look at it and think, huh, that could, they could be pretty good up front now. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it's so this is nice because now I, anytime <laughs> I think of you, I can just think, uh, uh, you said 95%, but I'm going to think 100% Husker football, at least through the football season. Pretty much. Um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah. So are you getting transitioned kind of into the new thing? Or oh, is it God. Just, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Because yeah. you haven't done it yet. No. Well, <laughs> yeah, mean, this is my second day. Yeah. Um, Second day on the job. See, Jack, I mean, you're not. How old are you? I'm 47. So, yeah, you're. When, and you, you've had a different sort of life. I was in the same job for 33 years. So when you change jobs, it's pretty significant. It was, it was about a month-long process to mm-hmm. transition, yeah. actually. Um, it's going fine, but it's, I'm day two. I'm not, I'm not done with day two. Okay. So it's, okay. it's, a, it's a major transition, just technological. Te- I mean, I'm doing, you got to do some things different from a technological standpoint, okay. which is challenging for a 55-year-old in some ways. Um, you got to get the younger people to help you a little bit. They catch on to things a little Well, let's faster. be honest. You used to just walk around with a notepad and get it, <laughs> get it done. <laughs> sort it started of, that way. Sort of. That's, no, what, what, it's mainly about the systems that the Journal Star and On3 are different. Sure, so you, get, sure. you have to adjust to that. That sort of thing is more challenging than maybe people think. But uh, as far as what I'm writing, not a huge challenge. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm going to be writing the same type of stuff. Well, yeah, and you have a, I don't know, you have kind of your own brand of writing, and I've always enjoyed yeah. it, and conversing, you know, just real quick, going back to Journal Star, because this is yeah. local news show, yeah, and, and some people have asked me over the, actually, I think it was just yesterday, but and I asked you, I said, well, who's 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 still there? And you said Parker has moved on, and the sports Parker editor. Parker Gabriel, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the sports editor as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're getting a whole new crew there. Yeah, the Journal Star is, um, they're fine, and they will be fine because the leadership there is outstanding. But they, yeah, they, the sports department is undergoing pretty massive change. Parker Gabriel was the Nebraska football beat writer, and he took a job at USA Today covering the Denver Broncos. So the USA okay. Today organization has beat writers for each of the NFL teams, and he, so he moved to Denver. Okay, good for him. Yeah, a few weeks ago. Um, oh, great for Parker. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's already had it. I mean, he's yeah. covering, you know, he left. I think he left town on a Sunday or Saturday and was start, he started there on a Tuesday. And by, have you ever seen their facilities? I have not. The Denver Broncos have the most wonderful practice facilities. It's kind of south of Littleton, I think. Uh, it's, yeah? it's out there okay. on the south side of town. Yes, it is. Went there with Jeff Jamrog and Midland Football. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, yeah, I was just blown away by their <laughs> facilities there. Yeah, NFL. Yeah. So now, yeah, Parker's there, and Clark Grell was the sports editor, and uh, he left... His last day was Tuesday. Okay. So they have three major positions to fill, and they'll fill them in due time. So, yeah, it, yeah, that, that's a pretty, you know, in the medium world, that's a pretty big story locally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, hey, there you go, folks. We've got some changes at the Journal Star and the sports department. Um, on three. Well, what are you looking forward to in this new kind of endeavor because it's probably some new personalities maybe some new partnerships with people because a lot of things are digital and mm-hmm. and and there's been a lot of different ideas around covering husker sports mm-hmm. um yeah. outside of the traditional papers yeah you know on three i'm glad you asked on three jack is pretty advanced in terms of using algorithms 
to track where recruits are look what what schools they're looking at. Um, they are pretty advanced in tracking the name, image, and likeness value mm-hmm. of student athletes. That, that's a in fact that's a that's something that they offer that on three offers that nobody else offers. Wow. Um, yeah, they, they, it's pretty elaborate machine there. Now I'm not involved in that. That's at that, you know, it's based in Nashville and mm-hmm. that, there's a lot of people working in Nashville that do that. We, I work for the, I cover Nebraska, but yeah, it's very, it's elaborate. Um, and it's intense. I mean, it's, it's, these organizations are intense. The Journal Star covering football was intense. So this is equally intense, if not more. It's intensive. What do you, what do you think? Now, first of all, I want to say, because I did peruse the website, because it was more than just I thought, like, oh, Sip's moving over here. And yeah. I saw, uh-huh. oh, wow, like there's levels of details involved mm-hmm. for on three that I think a lot of people are going to like. So if, you, if you're Thank totally you, into NIL and ratings and just, all the stuff that modern algorithms, computer technology, smart data people can do, yeah. that's there for on three. And then you're covering, like you said, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. My guess is there's other areas of the country that are covering yeah. other Oh, yeah. Programs, so, yeah. Right? So, yeah. Just like, oh, I don't know. 20, I'll say 24 7 sports. Yeah. All of. Eventually, on three will have team sites for everyone. Okay. They have team sites for several teams now. Okay. And eventually, they'll have. Team sites for everyone. Okay, so it's yeah. expanding. So it's kind of a one-stop all, and it's very interesting. It is. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people dig into it. I'm so darn old school that even when I consult now, I don't even care until you're standing in front of me, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't care about any of the recruiting or any, me personally. I understand. It's just that. when you're standing in front of me, let's go. We're on the team. Let's start building and let's get to work. I'm old school but, too, by but. Yeah. It is a part of the modern day game. I wanted to ask yeah, you because I know you've got a, you've got another engagement and oh, appreciate all your time. But what do you think? That, listen, if you don't know this, folks, there is always pressure on local journalism. I'm in the same boat, right? When I cover stories, right? We, you know, I could say something and people don't like it. Maybe an official doesn't like it. They're going to call in. Um, what do you think from a freedom standpoint? Not to say that at the Journal Star you couldn't write what you wanted, but as far as expanding the portfolio of going down stories and things like that, will will there be, because this is a national brand, uh, an ability to – or will it be the same? Do you know yeah, what I mean? You because question. you don't have local uh, control, mm-hmm. meaning – power players say that are invested or work mm-hmm. at the journal star or have to answer to their neighbors mm-hmm. i you never know. yeah you know what i don't know jack you know me pretty well i never felt that right i never felt any pull well let's be honest you you could stand toe-to-toe with bo Pelini yeah. and, and get it out so <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah, I, that yeah. crucible and i don't mean that in a bad no, way I it's know. just when we have to report to our neighbors right. and everybody we see every right. day oh, sometimes I don't, yeah. yeah my neighbors uh, don't talk to me so <laughs> There, like there's a self there's a self check there I right. guess is there, there is a self check I'm not I mean let's face it some people listening and say simple come on now don't act like a tough guy you're a homer you always have been um, we're all homers recently I've been a little less of a homer I'd say and people on the so it goes the other side I, believe me Jack I get a lot of a lot of emails from people who say you're you're you've become an ass I mean what what's happened you know. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I think I'll just, I don't think that part will change at all. Yeah. I'm just kind of write what I see and yeah. what I feel and, 
that's worked pretty well. So I'm going to keep doing that. Well, and, and and not in your defense, but just in the general covering Husker sports, what I've observed, mm-hmm. and I certainly want no part of it. Um, <laughs> What's that? It is most of us whether we grew up with the affiliation to it or we graduated from or we transplant here, we do have a unique love of our sports teams. Mm-hmm. And even though we may need to write something critical or mm-hmm. we see something critical, I think deep down inside there's always a piece of your heart that says, but God, I want these guys to pull out of this think, nosedive. Yeah, yeah. And and that kind of always comes out in the writing. Where It kind of does. Yeah. Where if we're in Boston, yeah. right, uh, some of the things you see – reporters go into in some of those places of course in my opinion is too far mm-hmm. right but i i think that's oh i a, see what you're saying you see what i mean i do I, I do think that there's a younger set that almost goes the other way and tries so hard to show that they're objective mm-hmm. like they you can you can try so hard to be objective that you become unobjective sure um and i you see that maybe with some of the younger this younger set a little bit yeah. um but mm, I don't know. I it's pretty balanced around here. Yeah. I don't. There's. I don't see irresponsibility no. very often. No. I. I. Um, if, if anything, I just see th- shreds of your. Everybody's pulling for them. I do. Right. Too. Yeah. And, and that's and okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's part of the. That's part of our fabric. Yeah. It is part of our yeah. fabric. Yeah. Uh, Steve. God Sibble bless you, Jack. On three. Yeah. Dot com. Yes. Um, we're gonna have you back um, in a couple of weeks or whenever we. We have can full do that. Hour okay. And just chill out and figure out. What's going on more? Appreciate yeah. you coming in. Yeah, I know. This is Candyland. you got to get to the hard stuff. I appreciate you having me on, Jack. I really do. You, you know. bet. 1,499.3-K-I-N. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1,499.3-K-L-I-N. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. It was quick. Uh, Steve Simple from On3, formerly of the Journal Star. I mean, let's be honest. He's a stalwart in sports reporting here. Not just in Lincoln, but around the state, especially around uh, Husker men's athletics. Um, And I've always enjoyed talking with him. I kind of met him way back, uh, even when I was in the Navy, um, as he covered Husker sports, and I did some consulting work. Um, And I've always enjoyed his take. Um, And he comes in here, kind of offsets Caleb Henry, who does a great job as well, our own sports guy. Um, And... It just so happened that uh, we couldn't have him in during political season. We scratched him, but then we we caught him in this transition. And so we'll have him back, uh, learn more about it, and get into kind of Husker offseason. Just uh, I haven't been able to ask him. I've been busy. and But I'm curious. I'm curious with the fall sports as as they round up. I certainly uh, talked to John Cook quite a bit, so that's always exciting. Uh, Of course, his program is, you know, kind of hitting on all cylinders, but... uh, John's always fun to have in the studio. So anyway, Steve Sipple, appreciate his time from on3.com. And I highly encourage you to go check it out. I mean, I checked it out because I'm interviewing him, and I was kind of amazed at everything that's is going on with that organization. Not completely my thing. I'm I'm pretty much about, you know, show me on Saturday, show me on Sunday. Um, but there's large followings for all this stuff. Um and uh, it's interesting. So this week, a lot of things, you know, police is back in the news across the country. Here we've had quite a few incidents in the last 14 days, uh, one that's ongoing now. Um, but I've looked into the kind of the Texas shooting timeline and thoughts there because people have been asking me because of my background in special operations. And uh, I'll break that down for you in the uh, second segment here on Drive Time Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. 
pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Drive Time Lincoln with the Commander Jack Riggins on the voice of Lincoln. 1499.3 KLIN. All right, we're back uh, June 2nd. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm your host, Jack Riggins of Drive Time Lincoln. Johnny Cadillac is producing the show. Got so excited to get Steve Sibble from On3.com in here. Talk about just briefly, really, his Journal Star experience and, and moving to a new job after 30 years. Uh, but, you know, 95% now covering Husker football, and he's excited about it. He another engagement he had to get to. So we'll have him on uh, in the summer, we'll talk more specific about him and his writings and what he knows about uh, Husker football, because I think it's always interesting. He has unique insights, having covered it for so many years, as, as well as uh, many sports. Um, you know, after yesterday's uh, Whatever Wednesday, a lot of text, a lot of emails about kind of these school shootings. And, you know, everybody in the operational slash tactical community knows this saying, right? And 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 the saying is tactics are like your butt, everyone has one. Okay? Uh that's putting it a nice way. And that's true, folks. Um in a way in that community there's a million different ways to skin the cat. And there's different ways um with regard to um handling active combatants or active shooters uh, in a war zone and doing it, you know, under the rule of law in a country like ours. And you, you break that down into each different state and each different tactical unit. And so my point is tactics, if you will, and my thoughts on them are just my thoughts. Okay, that doesn't mean they're right or wrong. I have some insights. Some of them are hard truths because I played the game of, you know, killing and capturing and detaining uh, people that very much were essentially armed, um, you know, assailants, so to speak. As well as defending from those type people. And, And our police... Uh, certainly, uh, and our communities have to deal with this from time to time. And so, having said that, I wasn't on the ground, um, but a lot of information has come out, and, you know, we'll go through it a little bit. And as I've said before, and I'll say at the end of this, first, it's incumbent upon schools, 
systems, local law enforcement right to have realistic, trained and rehearsed plans. And I think for the most part across America, and I'm very confident here in Lincoln, that we have those. Okay? You know, because you have to think through it. You have to, you know, op test it a little bit to check all the mechanisms that are in play because there's multiple organizations involved if something like this happens. And then, of course, you have to get teachers to be able to respond appropriately. And then they have to, right, train the young kids. And these drills go on quite a bit at, I think, all schools around here. I mean, oftentimes, you know, me as a parent, we get notices. So that's kind of the part inside the school systems. Um, Then, of course, you know, law enforcement and their response. And obviously around here, uh, that would be LPD, sheriffs. I I suspect, um, you know, the smaller contingents possibly, depending on the situation of of U.S. Marshals or, you know, other type law enforcement that's in the area around here. Um, and, And for them, right, so there's that synergy of understanding of what the school is doing at the same time as they're responding to the incident. And so many, many areas are doing this, and that's the right thing to do. The one critique I would always have, as I have understood it honestly from my own children, not by studying their plans, is sometimes we are not necessarily building plans that are realistic. Meaning, in the military, we're not going to train or build a plan around a very unrealistic scenario. We're we're actually going to start on the worst possible case, right? And the hardest possible case. And then we're going to work backwards of how to solve that problem. God forbid we run into it, specifically in special operations. And though from that knowledge, then we are going to create the tactics and TTPs or the equipment required to handle, you know, kind of the worst possible case we can think of. And sometimes when I hear some of the parents or even my own kids talk about the situations, I wonder if we're we're kind of putting plans in place, but we're not really putting plans in place that would pass pass the dip test, if you will, or like we used to say in the military, survive first contact, right? Would the plan all fall apart once there was a real active shooter? And so I encourage educators and people that are uh, law enforcement that are dealing and thinking through these situations to always plan worst case and to work backwards and to you know realistically train to that worst case scenario, because that's where you're going to get your greatest lessons learned. And you're going to see if all the moving parts from teachers and educators to children to the response of the police can sync up and hopefully limit the loss of life. Right. Because that's the goal. Um, having said that, you know, when you look at this situation in Texas, what's interesting is, you know, we wouldn't have known that this guy killed his grandma and, and drove to the school, um, crashed his car outside of the school uh you know around 11:28 a.m. um and as he kind of gets out of the car and makes his way to the school um you know resource officer kind of sees him 
and you know gets back in there. Another resource officer, as the nine one one call goes out at eleven thirty one. So we're talking minutes here, folks. Um, he just happens to go by the suspect while he's still outside, hunkered behind a vehicle, and um, and they they realize the game's on, you know, so to speak. The catastrophe, the disaster's on. I mean, this guy is coming to the school. So, again, notified within a minute, really, two minutes, okay, 911. Um, at that point, he's, he's not inside the, the place. Um, he then, by 1133, you know, begins shooting and gets into the school and begins shooting um, a lot of rounds. We're only talking, you know, three, four minutes. Uh, Officers arrive on the scene. Nothing seems at all wrong with their response time. I mean, they have arrived on the scene within minutes. And frankly, according to the report, three police officers have entered the same door. Right. So you've heard me talk about, you know, getting in there to an offensive type way to try to take care of this. Within two minutes of him entering, I mean, that's about as good as you're going to get, America. <laughs> you know, the police officers have a lot to cover, and you have an emergency situation. And and so you have three officers in there, and a couple of them get grazed. Um, seven officers initially are on the scene within, you know, three minutes. Uh, we can have law enforcement on here, but I think they're all going to say that's pretty darn good response also to be inside the building. That's, I think, where the questions uh, mainly come. And let's stop right there for a second and say it appears the the initial response is about as textbooks as you could get. Um, And let's also say that, you know, they rushed into the building immediately. I think that, A, that's very brave, and I think that that's the right thing to do in an active shooter situation. And at that point, obviously, after some guys are grazed, um, you know, they're calling for additional resources and body armor and the negotiators, you know, because they don't know exactly what's going on. You know, basically holding a hallway, you're, you know, you're holding your ground. You don't exactly know where he's moved to. Um, But at some point, uh, you know, within essentially 30 minutes, you, you have as many as 19 officers in that hallway. And that's where we have to pause. So the initial response is good. The 911s have gone out. I'm sure the school has, you know, been executing its plan, which was probably lockdown. Um, and last I heard, if I said the grandmother got shot, I, I think she survived. He shot her in the face, but, um, she survived. But now is the question of tactics and training and the differences between, say, an elite special operations unit or a SWAT team or in the case of a BORTAC, which is the Border Patrol's tactical unit that ends up showing up, right? This is where we sometimes don't understand the levels of which our street officers, so to speak, our first responders are trained. Listen, they're not all trained. The vast majority are not trained in close quarters battle or defense. Um, To go in there that quick is very honorable. Um, They're probably not even equipped right to deal with that because we don't want them uh, in full-up body armor and 
bought in in armored hel- uh, uh you know kevlar helmets right you know so they're not even suited up so to speak to be inside hallways where bullets ricochet and these type things so it's very brave for those officers to get in there and you know at that point it really becomes a training issue right if those guys are trained that way if those guys are the Bortak or the SWAT team, they're probably continuing to rush through and clear the entire structure until they find the shooter, right? Because that's what they do. That's They're good at it. We're good at it. You know, in SEAL Team, we could do it fast. We could do it slow. We could do it multi-level. We could do it, you know, from the basement up, the top down, do a little bit of both from the side. Um, but nonetheless, as I look at the structure, you know, they had the hallway. Um, now we have a problem of, well, why didn't they... Continue. Well, I just told you. Training, training, and experience. Now, was there a a call to hold back? I I wasn't on the ground. I don't know. There's still information coming about that. But most people, right, realize at that point in time, hey, we've got to have the people that are trained that can do this. And in this case, uh, that first unit, Bortak, arrived on scene 45 minutes after uh, the shooter entered the building. Okay, now the question is, is why did it take 40 more minutes for them to essentially breach the room he was in and and end the conflict? And that's a question that's going to be asked for a long time. Now, the information I have at this point is that the tactical commander, when they arrived, said it was a barricaded subject or shooter situation. Okay. You know, these tactical and operational level calls, you're doing risk assessment based on what you know, and it might not be 100% uh, of what's going on. But uh, in the in the case, if you think it's a barricaded shooter, that's a, a little bit different problem. And you certainly aren't going to rush head on to that because they have a tactical advantage. But you also don't know, is it barricaded with other innocents that he's able to shoot at and murder is it just him barricaded i don't know they didn't know but they called it a barricaded situation and so it appears they took the time to kind of think through it and then eventually um they breached they actually used um you know 40 minutes after the tac team arrived bortac they they used keys to get into the door where he was at and they shot and killed the suspect um so really, it's the delay. The initial response and the officers going above and beyond, you know, not as as, as tactical guys, uh, they did a great thing. Now, at some point, you know, this isn't a video game, folks. Guys had already been shot and, you know, rushing ahead, not knowing, not having the training. Um, that can make things worse. And that's probably by law enforcement usually does a very thoughtful Uh, approach to these things uh, opposed to the military where we tend to um, take a a little bit more risk okay it's a it's a different game um, so to speak nonetheless I think when I look at the building what's interesting is you look at the layout and uh, you know you just look at the layout. I mean, there's windows. There's things that, you know, snipers can cover. And it's not like every policeman is a sniper. I mean, even in SEAL Team, you know, we have about four snipers per 16 SEALs. 
um, but they play a vital role. But, you know, um, some of those outside windows where the subject may have been could have been covered by snipers to a degree. That allows you a little bit of intelligence. It allows you some cover fire if you were to move. Um, again, from the graphic I'm looking at, it appears that, um, you know, that might might have got in place once Bortak got there. Uh, but certainly, you know, to wait 40 minutes uh, once that team's there is probably going to go down in history, no matter how it happened, as not the right call, right? Because you already have people dead and you have an active situation and it's not going to get better. And so, in the end, the school systems, the kids... The local police have to rehearse, in my opinion, the worst-case scenarios. They have to test them in some field training exercises to make sure that their responses hold up to the you know worst-case scenario, as well as the most likely, as we used to say, the most likely scenario. And you have to drill it. And at some level, um, it is always going to be in, in these active shooters in in schools the first very first officers on deck are going to be the ones that have the initiative to try to change that situation and and so now thinking through that manning that training that equipping so that maybe you boost up their ability and confidence to handle those situations until the tactical teams are able to get there. But folks, it's as individuals, neighborhoods, it's really that simple, or as, as towns and cities and the policies you want to have, and uh, it's sad either way. Loss of life doesn't need to happen. 1,499 KLIN. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1,499.3 KLIN. Uh, yeah, we're back. Uh, Steve Sibble was on uh, from On3.com. First segment, kind of talked a little bit about the Texas shooting situation. Just some of my thoughts. Again, tactics and operations are like butts. Everybody has one. Um, but I, I don't mind sharing mine. You know, and I think that, again, I, I don't know how to bridge the gap, but God bless those officers that went in. Um, having done that work, I can't tell you how brave it is to not have the right weaponry, the right equipment, and to um, essentially, you know, assault into a a, a shooting situation. Um, and obviously there'll be lessons learned. But again, over the years, we as a society, we have to decide, you know, locally, statewide, you know, how we handle these situations, funding, training, equipping. And, uh, and I think there's room for improvement around police forces for better skills for, you know, basic level police officers. Now, years ago, I wouldn't have said, hey, metal detectors is one deterrence. Actually, I'd be a fan of that. Listen, we're so used to metal detectors and things and scanners over the years. Some schools do have them. That's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a price tag. It's a deterrent. And it can give you that tip off. And seconds and minutes in these cases are critical. Um, the other thing that I think goes for this, and uh, caller Matt Anderson, who will be on tomorrow, by the way, also brought this up, is twofold. I think there should be ca- uh, cameras and microphones in all classrooms now. All of them. It, it does two things, right? It does two things. It keeps teachers accountable, right, and students. 
It gives you a tape if things go bad, and it's another deterrent for security, if you will. And that's something that are some easy things that can help. Um, tomorrow, Doug Fitzgerald will be in with Matt Anderson from Christian Evangelism Fellowship and Branch Oak Observatory. I'll be back on Monday, 1499.3 KLI.